Quite the Thing Media, we aim to bring you the best podcasts produced by independent creators, made without constraints. Hello everyone, Kev here, and welcome back to Water Maneuver Podcast. I'm flying solo this week, but I've got a very, very important guest. Um, I'm joined today by the wonderful James Dixon, and you may know him as part of the Inside the Ropes team. There's a lot of good work on that magazine, which we'll touch upon later. But the main reason for me asking him onto the pod today was to talk about a series of books, which are generally called the, the Titan Trilogy, which talk about WWF and the mid-90s. James, welcome to Water Maneuver. How are you? Thanks, I'm good. That was a very, very big intro that I have to live up to now, so... Yeah, you you set the bar high early on for me there, but, but no, I'm, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, um, if I set the bar high for the, your intro, you set the bar high with these books. But first of all, I'm oh, going to ask you're you. You're me. <laughs> why wrestling and why? When did you start first getting into wrestling? Because anyone that's listened to these boys before know that I first started watching wrestling in uh, 1991 when I got a VHS taped which had half of the Royal Rumble and half of an episode of Neighbours in the middle of it, which is very, very early 90s. But when did you first start watching? Funnily enough, it was also 91. Yeah, it was... um, Wrestling was starting to get really big over here in the UK, and I'd never heard of it even until people in the the playground started talking about it or doing Royal Rumbles in the playground, you know, so... (laughs) Naturally, like any kid, I, I followed the, the herd and, um, yeah, never never looked back. It was one of those things where I think my parents thought, oh, well, this will just be a fad. You know, he'll be he'll be out of this in a couple of years. But here we are, 30 years later, and couldn't be more in it, really. So, yeah, and, and then from there, you know, SummerSlam 92 is obviously big, like it, like it was for everyone in the UK. And, you know, it was, it was the talk of our classroom for, for months on end. Brett versus Bulldog, which side were you on, you know, and and everyone picked a side. And, you know, sometimes fights had happened as a result. But, yeah, <laughs> and, and everyone else grew out of it. And I and I just didn't for whatever reason. So, well, that's strange. Think. Because, like, I, I think I was very much with the crowd because I started watching in 91. My interest started waned a wee bit towards the tail end of 92 and then by 93 I remember watching WrestleMania that year and then then that was done and that was me back out of it and then when you talk about the playground when I was in secondary school one of my pals saying oh I'm watching wrestling and I'm like why why are you watching that and he's like oh no it's different it's real now and I'm like alright okay (laughs) and he's like there's there's this guy called Steve Austin he he is absolutely brilliant and that was the tail end of 97 so I get back into it then and it's amazing how it can drag you back in and sort of things that you liked before and you never leave what? it man like you never stop once once you're in you're in you know even if you go yeah. 10 years without being in you're definitely uh you're definitely in <laughs> and the thing about it was what he obviously meant by real was they turned off from the cartoon characters and the clowns and the dumpster men and they become these more real characters but I, I always give a shout out. There was one guy in my school that watched it all the way through and then stopped watching when the attitude era started. So while everyone else got right in it, he chucked it. So he put up with all this nonsense. But anyway, the reason why we're here, we're here to talk about mainly tight and sinking, but the trilogy overall. 
So what made you decide to write a book about the worst year financially, creatively, and for any other reason you want to use, the worst year in WWF history? Why this year of all years? Well, I mean, that's kind of why, really, because it was considered so so poor. There's very little in the way of literature out there about it. So there's a lot about the, the ADs and, you know, McMahon's takeover of the territories and rise to prominence. And there's a lot about the Attitude Era and beyond. But there's very, very little about the new generation sort of era, the, you know, like 90, 95 onwards. And I mean, it's kind of before that. But, but 95, I think the reason that I did that one specifically first, because it was never supposed to be a trilogy at that point, was I watched... um Kayfabe Commentaries interview with Kevin Nash, which covered 95. And it was great. It was really, really good. And, you know, he, he goes through, I don't know if, you know, you've seen those, but it's called Timeline uh, series that they did. And, and Nash is really interesting. And, and, you know, he had a lot of really good stories on 95. And I thought, you know what? There's a lot going on here, not on screen as much. But behind the scenes, there is an awful lot going on. And I was like, you know what? I'll just, I'll write some of it down. You know, because it would be really cool if this timeline thing was an actual book, you know, like with with more than just Kevin Nash, with lots of, you know, sources and such. So I started to write it and, and then it kind of came together. And as I was writing it, I realized that there was a narrative to it. You know, most most writers, proper writers find a narrative first and then write a book. But I found it as I was going. And, and that narrative was that 95, 96 and then 97 were all very much different building blocks towards what became the Attitude Era. And everyone sort of thinks the Attitude Era started in, you know, late 97 when Vince did that promo or, you know, with Montreal or, you know, even 98 when Austin won the belt. But that's really not the case. Like Attitude very much started in 95 because that's when things started to shift quite, quite cosmically. You know, you had WCW coming along with Nitro for, for one thing. You know, you had the increase in pay-per-views. You had all the situation with with people jumping ship either side. And, you know, there was an awful lot going on. And wrestling was was growing as a result of all of this, you know, chaos. And what I, I realized was there was a lot of little things that were sort of ticking boxes for Vince that were working. And that as time went on, you know, he did more and more of them. And he went from this very cartoonish, very family-friendly promotion, you know, as you said earlier, with all the, you know, your dumpster men and your, your clowns. By the end of 95, there was a couple of matches with blood. There was broken tables. There was gold dust. It was really controversial at the time. And going into 96, you know, it got, you know, even more wild with things like Mankind coming in and, and boiling room brawls. And then Austin with his, you know, promos that upset religious people and such. And, uh, and yeah, it, it started to get a lot more extreme, I guess. Um, very, not nothing compared to what it did become, but you could see that they were slowly and then eventually quite quickly moving in that direction. So that's when I was like, right, well, I, I guess this is a trilogy then. So <laughs> it, it worked out quite nicely, but it wasn't intended that way. But I mean, I'm on record as saying 97 is my favourite year in wrestling. I just think there's so much good comes out of it. And it, oh, yeah. and it, grows, it, it grows as the year goes on. It starts off when it's okay, there's some good things here, you still get Brett doing his thing and then Sean has a, a couple of injuries which are debatable and 
and how severe they actually were. And you've just got the rise of Austin. And strangely enough, when Austin gets injured in 97, I think it actually helps them. We've I done agree. Full, we've done full pods on the only thing I think that made the Austin one better would have been, I think, if he'd taken the belt and finally beat Brett at WrestleMania 14. Now, obviously, that couldn't happen. But I just think that that would have been a sensational climax to that. Yeah, that, that should have been the good. end. Yeah, that, that should have been the ending. But, you know, it, it didn't matter, obviously. It didn't affect oh, no. how, how big he became. I mean, from a story point of view, yeah. I mean, the thing is, that's the funny thing about that entire era is the whole story is really Brett versus Sean, you know, throughout and the click versus Brett and, yes. and others. But in reality, it's actually about the rise of Austin and the change in his promotion and, and, you know, how it sort of shifts in its ideals. And then as a result of that, you've got Austin and McMahon himself becoming these two top characters and Brett and Sean are both gone, you know, at, at the point of Austin's ascent, which is, Strangely poetic, almost. It, it certainly ended the book nicely. So <laughs> it worked quite well. If, if you like, if you were literally to write a book or a story, it, it couldn't have been done any better. That these two guys fight for the top spot, and then by the time the next major star comes along, they're they're both gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's it's, nothing, it's nothing like it. Um, what was your sort of what was the sort of favourite points in 95 that you sort of looked at? Was there anything you, you, you sort of went, oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Actually, that's really quite interesting. Was there anything that really caught your eye and really got you yeah. interested in writing about it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the key thing for me with, with putting that book together is there's so many false stories out there. And what I wanted to do was get the real story out there, which isn't WWE's version. It's usually not the wrestler's version. You know, it's not necessarily the newsletter's version. It's a sort of a combination of all of those things. And I was very keen to be like, right, look, what's the sort of internet consensus on this? And then what's the actual story? And a good example of that is Shawn Michaels and Syracuse. So, you know, it's been said by WWE that, you know, he was attacked by 12 Marines or whatever. And then Shawn himself is like, oh, yeah, I got attacked by... You know, for no reason, by these Marines and the number changes, you know, it's kind of like the WrestleMania 3 attendance when Hogan talks about it. You know, the, the number does change. But And then, you know, when you talk to, to some of the wrestlers, like they have different versions of it all. And I was like, you know what, this is a this is a really good story if I can get to the bottom of it. And what I ended up doing is contacting the lawyer. I managed to find through some investigative journalism. Um <laughs> And I managed to get to the lawyer who represented the one person who gave Sean a, a kick in. And he sent me the written affidavits from Sean, from the guy in question, a guy called, I think he's called Douglas Griffith or Griffin, um, from Davy Boy, from uh, Sean Waltman. So I have the official documents that were written, you know, after the incident. And, and they do contradict each other, obviously. But then... I managed to speak to some people who were there, like one of the girls in the club and things like that, and and do some, you know, proper in uh, proper investigation, essentially. And then when you sort of weigh that up against what the outcome of it was, because that's the benefit of hindsight that you have with it being so long ago, you know sort of how it all played out. And the fact that the WWF just kind of dropped it really suddenly before WrestleMania 12, the lawsuit, and like, ah, you know, we've decided not to pursue it. Well, the reason for that was because it was going to go to court. 
and this is what the lawyer told me when I, when I spoke to him, it was going to go to court and it was going to be revealed that Shawn Michaels, who was about to win the WWF title, was beaten up by one, you know, 19-year-old guy um, outside of a bar. So they didn't want that sort of headline because it would have made headlines. You know, they'd the media loved raging on WWF back then because of the, you know, the fallout from the steroid trial and all that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. WWF was sort of a, you know, had a, had a lot of black eyes at that point. And the WWF and Sean were just like, well, look, we can't, we can't let this be headline news that our champion got beaten up by, by this one dude. And cause he wasn't even a, he wasn't even a Marine. He was a private, you know, so. They were like, we'll, we'll drop it. And which kind of backed up the entire thing. And, and like the guy, the lawyer was really smart about how he was going to approach it. And, and that's how, how it got, you know, dropped. And, and I thought that particular story was, is a real sort of standout for that book because it kind of tells you stuff that you don't know already. There's, there's nobody else who knew that in wrestling. That was never written anywhere. Any of that stuff in, in that sort of much detail. Because no one else had bothered to talk to the lawyer and read the stuff because, you know, it's it's an old story. At the time, you obviously weren't going to get it. Some newsletters weren't going to print all that stuff. And then after the fact, no one cares. And the Internet just repeats the things that it thinks are true over and over again until they become true for the wrestlers and the, the fans. So, yeah, that that was a good one. And, and there's some other, you know, as we go on through the other books, you know, the curtain call is a good example of that as well and, and what really happened and who really knew. and Vince giving it approval and then regretting it, things like that. And, and then obviously 97, the Montreal one, which was a nightmare. I'm a, I'll tell you. <laughs> so. Um, so who else did you speak to anyone else that perhaps, like obviously you're only going to go to phone John Michael and say like how many millions actually kicked your ass. So like was anywhere else, like you obviously spoke to the lawyer, you spoke, you ended up speaking to the people that were actually there. Was there any other people that were perhaps strange that you reached out to for any of these stories? Uh, for that specific one, because I had the written affidavits, I already had the official words of Sean and Davey and, and Kid, who were the sort of three witnesses, I guess, and the people who were there as well. So, you know, there was a bunch of witness statements and they're about as accurate as you're going to get because they were given mm-hmm. at the time. Um, not that they're not, you know, they're not all true. <laughs> Some of the stuff in them, of course, but. Yeah, I think with that one and that, that pretty much covered it. But then you kind of had, you know, other people's thoughts. So Bill Watts, you know, saying that he would fire, he would fire. Say, but Bill Watts was a fired any champion they could beat up in a bar, wouldn't he? That's what he we always hear from JR. Yeah, he would have. I mean, the thing is for, with Bill Watts, though, he was there until literally a couple of days before that happened. So, you know, that, that could have happened. I mean, I don't think Vince would have let it happen, but, you know, and that would have, led to Bill Watts leaving sooner than he did. <laughs> so, you know, but but yeah, with the others, I mean I, I talked to talked to a lot of people. Um off the top of my head I can't remember who, but over the course of the books we talked to um you know, we talked to Jim Cornett in quite a lot of detail. Um we spoke to Ken right. Shamrock. I, I need to stop you. I need to stop you. You've mentioned my hero, Jim Cornett, my Jim hero. Cornett. How was he to deal with? I, oh he's a gem. I, I listen to his podcast every week. Um we're recording this uh, a week after the, the sad passing or so of Beautiful Bobby, which was a very, very hard listen. Coronet's usually in gimmick, but his wrestling knowledge is second to none. Uh, anyone that's ever listened to him knows that he, he tends to book things and critique the, the modern wrestling and tells them how they can make things better. Um, we've all heard his rants about 
how he was going to give Vince his first one-legged WWF champion if Sean spoke <laughs> down to him again. He was going to have my tire iron or something like that. But how was he to deal with and how, how did you reach out to him? Oh, he's, he's a gem. I mean, he's a great dude um, in real life. You know, he's... It's funny, I just, I reached out to him just about, you know, what I was doing and he was willing to talk to me. Um, and then as a result of that, we became, you know, pretty, pretty good friends and, and remain so to this day, you know, as a result of that and various things we've done together as, as well um, since then. And the thing with, with Carney is he was there, like he was there in the back he was there in the office he was writing a lot of this stuff he witnessed a lot of this stuff so he was a great person to have and like the difference with carney compared to a lot of other wrestlers you might speak to is carney didn't have a let's call it demons carney didn't have any demons <laughs> that causes his memory to falter. now as he'll tell you himself sometimes the endings of his stories change depending on when he last told you it but <laughs> you know um and there was a couple of times where he sort of said something. So by '96, when he was he was there when the the facts convinced when the facts came through from Scott Hall that he wasn't going to be resigning that he's going to WCW, and you get the direct reaction of of what that was. But then Connie's like, "Oh yeah, you know," and then Vince gave him a big payoff for WrestleMania 12, and I was like, "Connie, he didn't even work WrestleMania 12." And he was like, well, goddamn, you know, he worked some shows. And he worked in your house after this. He's like, well, yeah, that's what it was then. You know, God, uh, 20 years ago, I can't remember. Right, fair enough. But but if Connor can't remember, it's because he can't remember fully because it was a long time ago. And, you know, he's experienced and seen a lot of stuff. Whereas with a lot of wrestlers that you speak to, they just tell you their version because there's political reasons often for that. They don't want to bury themselves. Because you know they don't want to to risk a future job with WWE, um, potentially, or they don't want to bury their friends or people like they knew, or like they don't want to stooge people out. So, you know, it, what I tended to do was get like six, seven, eight versions of the same story, and then sort of assess who was the most trustworthy source, and then which stories matched up. If all eight of them tell you the same story, it's probably good to go. You know, if half of them do. And then you kind of have to work it out yourself and, and sort of go with the benefit of the doubt. And, and again, you know, the, the benefit of that knowledge that you have of how things did play out, you know, because if everyone says, oh, well, this is how it went. And then logic and sort of the reality of the business and the actuality of what happened don't match up, then you have to kind of fill in the blanks and, and work out what the actual scenario is there. So, yeah, it's quite a quite a jigsaw puzzle <laughs> to do that but a fun one <laughs> it's this um, it's this weird world of pro wrestling where more excitement happens backstage and, and a lot of times on the, on the screen and you're oh, right Connie Morton is a great resource because he writes everything down he writes gates down he writes payoffs down and I, I do I've wish he'd do an autobiography book. I've seen his magic book and have you? yeah I have and it is Glorious! Oh my God, I I would pay him a lot of money for that. He will never give me it. <laughs> like, that, yeah, what a fortune, Oh, dude, it's like I mean, it's all the booking fans from ninety six, ninety seven, and like all the towns and all the who missed what show for what reason and all the you houses. That is a book that would sell. 
<laughs> you know what? I might I might have to give him a call after this uh, <laughs> Tell him I've got a wee guy for Glasgow that's got a brilliant idea. Publish your book. Because <laughs> I think uh, it was we talk, I think Jericho published a book which was just a list of his matches. He did. Did Yeah, he did. I mean look yeah, I mean I, I own a publishing company now, so you know, it's not the worst <laughs> idea in the world. Just send me a signed copy from Cormier, right? That's it. <laughs> Whatever ever happens, I'll, I'll get you one for sure for the for the credit. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off there, but you're saying so Cormier you spoke to Ken Shamrock, how does he deal with? He he seems quite sensible. Uh, does he? Um <laughs> No, he was he was really he was really nice. Um the the main reason I wanted to speak to him was actually the ninety seven books, obviously it was around ninety five, ninety six. But I um I wanted to know about that that rumour that's always done the rounds of people saying, oh, well, you know, I just, and I think it was Cornette's idea, you know, put Brett on with Shamrock if he doesn't want to drop the belt. So I wanted to ask Shamrock, look, if that, if they'd come to you and said that, what would you have done? Because Brett trained Shamrock or he helped train him. Um, and Shamrock was like, I would never have done that. Like, it was so difficult anyway, because I was coming from the world of real fighting and everyone thought I was going to shoot on them and hurt them. You know, a lot of people didn't realise that I was a wrestler first. And I knew what I was doing. They just thought I was this dangerous, you know, the world's most dangerous man, you know, they thought it was a shoot. And he said, like, if I'd have done that, no one would have ever trusted me ever again. That would have been it for me as a wrestler. I would have lost respect for the boys. And I never would have done that. But Brett, I loved Brett. He was a friend. I respected him. He helped train me, you know, so. And I thought that was really interesting to sort of have that, you know, that alternative version of, you know, that reality. Because people are always like, oh, you know, true just Brett and Shamrock. It's like, yeah, but what would have happened, you know? And the answer is nothing. Shamrock would have done the job for him. <laughs> so, yeah, he he was good, though. I mean, he was he was a little bit political because he wanted, at that point, he was desperate to sort of get back in WWE um, and he couldn't quite understand why he hadn't been, um, like why he would, he'd never been welcomed back. This was before he went back to the impact and stuff like that. But, yeah, he, he was good. Like, he was willing to answer things that he could remember, couldn't remember everything, but... What I found with people like him and, and anybody I spoke to, really, what I'd do is sort of ask them things like, you know, say the Montreal locker room. What are your memories of it? What did it look like? Who was there? Who were you sat with? Because then what you can do is get all that information together. And again, it's the jigsaw. and You build this picture of what that scene was. So if you were making a movie of it, in theory, you should be able to read those books and it's described to you. You know who sat around, you know what it looks like, you know what colour the floor is, you know, things like that. So you can really get yourself in that environment like, you know, you would if it was a fictional book. You'd be descriptive and, and talk about it. Yeah. And I was very keen to have that. So anyone I spoke to, even if I didn't get anything great out of them, you know, in terms of revelations, it was really good to get that sort of, oh, you know, Ken, who were you sat with, you know, when Brett Punch Mint's. You know, who do you remember seeing? How do you remember it going down? And and then it had all kind of come together as a result of that. So, so yeah, everyone I talked to was, was really useful. Um, I, I see that the three of them are absolutely brilliant. Um, I couldn't put them down. And like I said before, we started to record and I'm a mother. I will read a couple of chapters of a book. I'll put it down. I will then come back to it in six months and then go back a chapter and then forget about it and... I consume most of my wrestling via podcast these days, but yeah. the the other way I do it is through your other um, joy and your other work, and that's you're heavily involved with Inside the Ropes magazine, which I think most people will agree 
fills a power slam shaped hole in our lives. <laughs> uh, what is it you do there, and how did you sort of get involved with that? So, um, well, I mean, I'm the editor, so that's that's the key. Everything. You take the credit. <laughs> if it's good, it's you. If it's not, it's Kenny McIntosh. Yeah, I blame Kenny for anything that doesn't fit well, but no, in in reality, um, so just just you know to peel the curtain back. So obviously the Titan books are written under the name James Dix, but that's that's not my real name. You know that is a a pseudonym that I used at the time. Um, the reason being, I wrote a one PW book, um, which is a promotion. That was the first book I wrote, and it was I used to wrestle for that promotion. So when I was interviewing people, some of whom I had heat with at the time, um. Oh, they had heat with me. Uh, and they, I knew they wouldn't speak to me if it was the real me because they'd kind of know what was going on. So if it was just some writer that I'd never heard of, just wanted to interview them, it was much easier. So so that happened. And then fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how I look at it, that book did really well. Um, and so I've got my name or, or the James Dixon name out there. So I kind of got stuck with it <laughs> so, you know and I, and I used it but it became so confusing and irritating when I worked for like pop culture and elsewhere and people were like oh James and I'm like God answer them it's not my name and then I'm like oh that's me right <laughs> and I was just like you know what like and when I when we started inside the ropes mag I was like you know what I'm just going to can this this name no one's buying this mag because I'm editing it anyway and anyone who might have been will soon figure it out so no, I'll, I'll just use my, my real name on this one and, and from now on. So, so yeah, that, so if you like, oh, I buy inside the Rips magazine, I've never seen James Dixon in it. Well, you, you won't have, but you'll have seen Dan Richardson, if fact, me. Um, the editor of this fine publication. And so to answer your question, the reason it came about was I'd done some stuff elsewhere, um, with what culture, as I said, and I was at Wrestle Talk for, for a while and I wasn't particularly happy um with what i was doing there for for various reasons um the main one being that you know i wanted to be doing something that i was in control of rather than answering to somebody else and i wanted to do my thing my way because you know nobody likes working for the man if they don't have to i, mm-hmm. I would much rather be the man you know yeah. low rent nature boy or something and i was um and I, and I spoke to Kenny, and Kenny and I have been friends for a long time and, and really close for a long time. We've always wanted to do something together. And to be honest, COVID hit, and as awful as COVID has been for everybody, you know, it had its positives as well. And the positives were that I all of a sudden had a lot of time. Kenny had a lot of time. We couldn't really go anywhere, do anything. So how about now we we get together digitally, you know, not in person, and. uh and do this thing like he loves power slam as much as I do and we were like you know what why don't we just do power slam but but not call it power slam you know like why don't we just do that and you know Finn Martin's a good friend of ours so he, he came on board we know a lot of people you know Bill Atter, Keith Greenberg and you know there was loads of others at the time there's loads more now all of whom have worked in you know wrestling print media for a long time on you know your classic mags from the past you know your, your pwi and wf magazine raw magazine and you know everything in between um and we're like well let's let's do it ourselves you know inside the ropes as a as a following people know it people support the brand people support kenny and so we we did that's exactly what we did. We're like, 
let's let's launch this thing and see how we do you know and it was just an online thing at first like it was obviously print but like it was only available online at first and then it got a really good response so as as it grew we managed to get into the stores getting smiths which was a big goal for us you know we want to do that like after a year and we managed to do it after sort of eight months which was fantastic for us and yeah we're now back got a, a wrestling mag back on the on the shelves and very much in the spirit of power slam a lot of the same writers a lot of the same features <laughs> you know and that's obviously by design we are aware that there's a big hole and and ultimately if we break it down and away from all the you know the the corporate talk the reality is we're both big power slam marks and we miss it and we just we want finn martin to write stuff that entertains us so we came to do so in a magazine that we pay for rather than him paying for so that's what it is I'll be honest as I said to you before we started recording I bought issue one said I love it and I've subscribed to it my new issue will be dropping this week I think um, it will it will indeed my, well they arrived at my in my office two days ago so they will be in fact on their way to you now I believe a uh, week I mean, <laughs> well the only complaint I've got oh, I and know. you're the man to talk to I Go love on. that crossword <laughs> I love yes. that crossword. Literally, damn. the first thing I would do would be flick to the back page and do the ones that I knew, and then go back to the ones I didn't know later. I would get it back. Dude, look, I'll tell you why the crossword's gone, but I will give you some good news as well. The crossword took me longer to do because I did them. I did every one of them, right? And they took me longer to do than the rest of the magazine combined because. <laughs> Making a crossword. I, so people say, oh, there's programs out there you could you can use. And yeah, there is, but they've got limits. And also, wrestling is very specific. You know, it's you can't use a random word in this crossword. It's why, like, the answer Amy comes up about 20 times, or if you look back, you know, and why Kamal is in at least three or four times. It just happens to be the letters that, that fit. And... Then you've got to figure out the question. It's like, okay, the answer is Kamala for the third time. So how can I do a different clue? And you don't want it to be too easy because, you know, it's got to last you a month. So then it becomes a quiz. It's essentially a quiz word, isn't it? It was like, it's like, all right, who, who was the guy who did this at WrestleMania three? And you're like, oh man, I have to really think about that, you know, rather than it just being fill in the blank, something steamboat. It's like, ah, I could do that one easy. So to, to try and make it really hard and, you know, so it could last you, but also the time it took to do it, it was just ludicrous. And I was like, you know what? I just, I can't do this every issue. It's, it's killing me. <laughs> like it is. And if I make it smaller, people will be sad because it's smaller and, and whatever. So it, it will definitely, there'll definitely be more crosswords in the mag occasionally, right? Special occasions, Christmas or something, right? I was about to say, give us a Christmas one. A Christmas well, one, a jumble well, one. <laughs> well, you say this, but I do have plans to do a quiz book, oh. like, for Christmas. So it wouldn't be, it'd be a separate thing at the, the mag, um, it, but it would be obviously similar. Um, and it would be crosswords, all wrestling related crosswords, some word searches, some arrow words, some general quizzes, all that kind of stuff. The kind of thing you'd buy in Tesco for 50 bucks. 
you know, with all, a book full of quizzes. I don't know how I can do wrestling Sudoku, but I'll find a way um, somehow. But yeah, I, I have got plans to do something along those lines, hopefully, hopefully for this Christmas. So, you know, that should keep you all quiet. <laughs> well, as well, me, I, I, I loved it. I, I said the only way PowerSlam could ever be improved was if they had a wrestling team crossword because back in the day, I used to buy the Daily Star on Saturday and it had the, the jumbo football crossword and this was a hard crossword for football. It, it was like, who scored 12 goals in Division 3 for Rotherham in 1974? Oh. It was a thinker. And so were these crosswords, so I absolutely loved them. But we may as well get you some plugs because you've been kind enough to come on and give us half an hour of your time, which I have thoroughly enjoyed. If people want to buy the book and support you, where's the best place? Amazon? Yeah, get it from Amazon. You'll get it cheapest from Amazon. So you can buy a Kindle and you can get it in print. But you can also now, for all three of them, get the audio books. Um, I wouldn't suggest paying money for the audio book because it's about 25 quid, which is a price that I do not set. I shall put out there. Amazon sets it based on the length. However, if you have Amazon Prime, you can get it for either cheap or free, I think. With like an odd, or if you have Audible, rather, sorry, you get audio, like audio, yeah, Audible. Yeah, you can get it free in the pile. Although it's not your dulcet tones that are narrating it, I must say, I did listen to no. it. Come on, no, it's <laughs> not. It's um, it's my lovely American friend Dean Rupel, who is phenomenal. Um, he's not a wrestling fan, you know, and he and he's really sort of got deep deep dive into this one where he's figured out like how Randy Savage sounds, how Vince sounds, how whoever sounds. And try to, as best he can, do a, a version of what they sound like. And it's like, man, couldn't be happy with him. You know, he's done he's done God's work there. <laughs> and, and inside the ropes, if people want to give it a try, if they've perhaps not seen it online or they've not seen many of my many, many retweets or comments on the pages <laughs> on Twitter, you can get it at WH Smith's um, if you want to not pay postage, uh, which is fair enough. It should be in the vast majority of Smith's. It's not in the travel ones yet, for obvious reasons, I would imagine. Uh, it will be. It will be soon enough. But yeah, not all your big Smith's is in there. But I will say, we have had a lot of reports of people who are like, oh, it wasn't in my local Smith's. Well, it was. You just didn't get there quick enough because they sold out of it. But in the- which is good, you know, but in theory, uh, it's good and bad, good and bad, it's good it? and bad. But those Smiths that that have sold out, they should in theory order more. So like, you'll probably be all right next time. But the easiest way to guarantee you'll get it is to go to insidetheropesmagazine.com. And what I would suggest doing is the monthly recurring subscription because it is pay five pound a month, which is the cost of the mag, and then it's one pound postage. Whereas if you buy an individual issue, it is one pound seventy five postage. Postage and packaging, mind you, not just postage. <laughs> um if you buy an annual sub, it is cheaper. It is the cheapest option, but you do have to pay it all in a in a one. So they're your they're your options, but I would suggest if you get it from us you'll you'll get it fairly quickly, you know? Like if like you, you know, you should be getting yours a week. It doesn't come out for another week. We get it a week in advance. So. It's magic. Um, and last question: what, uh, If people want to hear more from you, I know you're not a, a big Twitter fan, but where can they follow I, you on Twitter? I, I don't even know, dude. I think it's at Dante. <laughs> yeah. Um, I ne- 
don't bother. I don't use it other than to put say when the mags out. Um, social media is the scourge of modern times. So, oh, yeah, no, I, I, I avoid it. Was famously said that Twitter is like somebody coming at your window and shouting abuse down at you. So you just need to learn when to lock the window. Well, it was about a year ago when Moxley uh, said something about has has anyone ever gone on Twitter and and come off Twitter and gone man I had a really good time on Twitter today <laughs> or do you leave and go well I'm angry now <laughs> you know? and you're always it's always you're angry now or or irritated or you know this guy's stupid or this person said this stuff thing it's like just remove it from your life do other things <laughs> write a magazine so, exactly. Write a magazine, go and investigate a, a champion getting beat up by 12, 13, 14, or one Marine, or <laughs> private, depending on what way you want to win over here. There well, is definitely one, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very, very much for your time. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope the listeners have. I hope they go and check out the book. I hope they go and check out the magazine. I will speak to you all again the same time next week. Thank you for listening, and we'll speak to you soon. At Quite The Thing Media, we aim to bring you the best podcasts produced by independent creators, made without constraints.